Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. M-I-P. With Masamela Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, in this busy time in which we all are functioning, there's so many things you want to get to, and then time just gets away from you. Uh, you all will, who are avid listeners to Make It Plain, will know that on several occasions, we have uh, featured some of the correspondence from PRISM, which is uh, an excellent website and publication. I'd like to talk to the good people at PRISM even more. So we're gonna work on that and we're gonna start that right now, today. (laughs) And so we're happy uh, to have with us from PRISM, we invite you to go to prismreports.org, that's the website a staff reporter and copy editor there who covers racial justice and culture. Carolyn Copeland joins us on Make It Plain today. Carolyn, how are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to have you and hope praying that you and your loved ones have been faring as best as expected under all the circumstances we've been dealing with. Thank you. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about what PRISM is and what it does and kind of what its mission is. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so basically PRISM is a BIPOC-led news outlet, a nonprofit news outlet run 100% by women of color. And what we do is we center the stories and the perspectives of people, of marginalized people and people who are closest to the issues, like uh, nonprofit organizers on the ground, activists. Uh, people who are most affected by the policies uh, that are put in place uh, regionally and, and nationally. Okay, all right. And, and, and obviously that's very important, especially at this time. We are seeing that even though, Carolyn, we had a reckoning last summer, this nation's adjustment to being more inclusive and more sensitive, culturally sensitive to the need of diverse communities 
is still lacking, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were all of these institutions and all of these systems, businesses, education systems, school boards, they all put out statements of solidarity last summer, but we're seeing that we're not having as much support Black communities, Brown communities, as we did this time last year and study after study has shown that support for racial equity, support for any move that would improve equity, diversity, and inclusion, um, it's now being met with more resistance than it was last summer. In fact, you wrote about the year since the George Floyd incident and the lack of passage of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. That's glaring in and of itself. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, That's not to say there haven't been any improvements because there absolutely have, but I think that people were a lot more optimistic this time last year than they are right now because we're so far removed from what happened now. Uh, life's getting back to normal. People aren't just sitting on the couch watching all of these protests or, or participating in them. They're back to their normal life, a lot of people. And so I think that it makes it easier to forget the struggle that a lot of people have every day. You know, honestly, Carolyn, I have, have thought about it this way. Last summer, um, these stories, these incidents had captive audiences because everyone was literally confined at home. And they watched first what happened to Ahmaud Arbery on a loop, it was constant, then George Floyd. And then they heard about Breonna Taylor. And now that everything is getting back to normal, people have far many more distractions. And that's probably, I, I would offer probably part of the, the problem um, as well. But, but you, speaking of media, I see you've also written even recently about uh, the what women in media have to face. And I don't know that people are really that aware of that, particularly uh, women of color, women from diverse backgrounds. Mm -hmm. You all have to face uh, a, a level of, of harassment, unfortunately, too, don't you? Absolutely. I think what you're referring to is this series that we have that's rolling out. We have the third part of that series that's going to be dropping, I believe, mid-July. And it centers on women and marginalized journalists and the types of harassment that uh, they receive. The first piece focused on newspaper um, and online journalists and the types of harassment, threats, just horrible things that they have to deal with and how it's not being addressed by news organizations. And uh, the second piece that dropped, I believe it was last week, might have been the week before last, centered on uh, women who work in local TV uh, and the types of harassment, threats, the stalking that they've faced just for being women doing their jobs and how that is different from what men and, and it's more specifically white men have to deal with, even though they all deal with some level when you're that public and you're that visible, everyone deals with some type of harassment or negative comments or things like that. But women and especially women of color deal with it on a level that is just goes so deep. Is it rooted in the, the, the kind of stories that they're covering, or is it just the fact that they're women? What are you finding? Yeah, well, that's the thing that I found in speaking to all these different types of journalists, is that a lot of the comments they receive are not just critical about the subject they're, they're covering. I mean, everyone receives, anyone who works in media, uh, anyone who works in podcasts like you do, you'll receive occasionally a an email or something or, or a comment, you know, this, this story is horrible or, or I didn't like this episode of your show. You, you receive that and that just comes with it. But the types of comments we receive go, you know, especially women in TV, it has to do with their appearance, it has to do with their race. A lot of them get rape threats 
It's really, it, it's really horrible. And many of them get doxxed and have their public information leaked for just, you know, existing online or, or, or just posting their opinions. And a lot of people don't have a lot of empathy for that because they think, well, this is the profession you chose. But a lot of these women just want to do good work. They want to cover stories that are important and let the public know about what's going on. And, and they didn't sign up to be degraded and harassed and not have their news organizations back them up. Yeah, yeah. More MIP after this message. What up, y'all? It's Torre, author of I Would Die For You, Why Prince Became an Icon. Check out Who Was Prince, an epic eight-episode podcast about Prince, where we talk to his girlfriends, his musicians, his engineers, his managers, all sorts of people who were close to him to find out who he really was. Follow Who Was Prince wherever fine podcasts are streamed. And, and no, I don't think people did. I don't think those of us as journalists did sign up for that. I mean, the journalists supposed to be doing the, the I guess, the, the scrutiny, so to speak, is not necessarily supposed to be the other way around. But, you know, this this social media culture is is getting more, in my view, Carolyn, more misogynist by the day. And there it, it there's no there's no filter. There's no pushback. And people say First Amendment, First Amendment, First Amendment. But after a while, it just gets to be crazy. So you can just go on Twitter and say anything about anybody. Sometimes on Twitter, it's just like, well, let's just attack women today. Let's just find any woman and and pull. So that lets you know something. There, there's a culture. We talk about culture in the real world, unless we are actually in the matrix, but in the real world. And, and the problems with cultures we just mentioned, you know, the reckoning and things going back to normal. But it's if in 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 cyberspace, in the I guess the virtual world, I mean it, it takes on its own type of thing and there seems to be no means to address it. And as you said, many of these organizations who could defend some of the women attacked this way don't. And and I've seen many of these organizations don't do it, Carolyn, because they're actually afraid. Everyone is afraid of being dragged, canceled, or doxxed on Twitter. So they just I don't want to get in it. Let me just, you know, and, and that's not an answer either to me. Right. And and so it really leaves these reporters, especially the women, to defend themselves. Uh, I wrote about one woman who is a columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Philadelphia Daily News. And she actually publicly sometimes, she won't reveal the person's name, but she will post the types of messages that she receives just to bring awareness. And that has been met with a lot of negative reactions from her colleagues about how it just makes it seem like she can't handle it by her bringing awareness to this issue. But there are some people that it has helped because they're saying that, the, or she told me that they told her that they didn't know that she received these types of messages. She is a, a Latina woman and the men she worked with said, you know, we receive negative comments or we get harassed online sometimes too, but nothing like this. It was so deep and it got actually so deep for her specifically that they shut off comments to her articles specifically. And then they ended up getting rid of all comments for all their articles, but it started with her. Yeah, yeah. So folks, we want to be on the lookout for that. Check that out at prisonreports.org. Also, um, you've written a piece, a lot of conversation about schools are going to be reopening, obviously, uh, this fall, or so it seems. You looked into school boards and how they are trying to 
address institutional racism as well, Carolyn. Talk to us about that reporting and, and what you found, please. Yeah, absolutely. So the article on school boards is part of a six-part series that we had roll out over the week of June 14th. And the series is titled Racial Reckoning in Public Education. And what it is, is a response to the racial reckonings over the past year that were catalyzed by the murders of unarmed Black people. It sparked, you know, the biggest racial justice uprising, arguably, since the Civil Rights Movement. And around that time, a lot of institutions, like we were talking about before, you know, made statements of solidarity. We were committed to racial racial equity, diversity, inclusion, we promised to do better, we're going to hire more Black people in higher roles and management positions. Um, and a lot of school boards did, this, did the same thing. And around this time, we at PRISM knew that we wanted to do a follow-up to this, um, to see who actually is following through with what they said they were going to do, or is it just performative? So when the idea for the series came up, we wanted to specifically focus on the past year and what efforts have been in place to address the racism in the public school system just since the racial justice uprisings happened. So we wanted to start with a piece about school boards because people don't fully understand the importance of school boards, what they do, how much power they have and influence in shaping the lives of tens of millions of students across the country. So we wanted to put a spotlight on what they do, what power people have, what power they have, um, and how the community can influence their decisions, how they can recall them, how they do, how people can do that, um, and really kind of put the hands back into the community after they read these pieces about, okay, hopefully they'll feel that they have something that they can do. And that was really the goal uh, of this, of the series, but also that piece on school boards specifically. More MIP after this message. You and I are singing from the same sheet of music because I, in my activism, I've said to people that when it comes to certain areas of life that affect us, it's really a local struggle, not a national struggle. Police are governed locally. Not, there's no national police oversight body. Police are not governed on Twitter. You gotta get involved locally. Uh, boards of election, local, state. But last but definitely not least, as you point out, it's education. There is a federal department of education, but as you know, a lot, a lot of people think, you know, when I used to laugh when people run for president and they would talk about what they were going to do for education, I'm like, they just saying that because they can't do nothing. That's, <laughs> that's a local. It literally is. And it also speaks to, you know, some of the down ballot issues when it comes to voting rights, because folks in many jurisdictions, school boards are still elected. And, and so what Carolyn is revealing to us through her writing is just how local it is and how you um, sir, ma'am, may be able to get involved. As you looked at some of these school districts, when it comes to how they're addressing institutional racism and the reckoning, did you find any that were handling it better than others? And I know in your writing, you also raised the question about everybody's got a statement. You don't make statements, statement, 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 statement. That's the thing. Somebody come, we're going to make, I'm tired. I want to make more statements. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you raised the question as to whether or not it, it's it's real statements versus substance. Mm -hmm. Well, it's one thing that we realized when we were doing this, and it, it wasn't a total shock, but there is difficult to have measurable outcomes just in that short period of time. So, you know, people, these statements came out, you know, last May, June, July, 
And there hasn't been a lot of time to actually see what the outcome has been for a lot of these school districts. However, we have been seeing that there are plenty of school districts that have taken steps. For instance, um, the Concord School Board in uh, New Hampshire. Um, and New Hampshire is a not predominantly white state, but 90% of the population is white. So this, so I wanted to focus on them specifically because they are not from an urban school district. They have predominantly white student population, but they are making efforts to implement more inclusive curriculum. I spoke to one of their school board members and he, want, he wants to make it a commitment. He's, he's brand new. He just was elected in the last year and he wants to make it a, a commitment to adopt curriculum that is more reflective of history that is accurate. Some people might refer to that as critical race theory. It is not, but they're doing a good job that they've implemented uh, different committees to hold themselves accountable. And they uh, have issued statements since last summer. They issued, I think their most recent actually was in, in January, and it was in response to what happened in a neighboring school district where one of their neighboring school district school board members posted Nazi imagery online and they didn't say, okay, well, that's their school district, that's their problem. They put out their own statement about how that's not acceptable and how their constituents don't have to worry about that happening with them and here's why and here's what they're doing to advance racial equity in their school districts. So uh, that's just one example, but there are several others. I mean, there's the Philadelphia school district. The school board just passed a sanctuary schools resolution after Last year, I believe it was, there was a woman who was detained in front of her child's school. And so they've been working with community organizers in order to make it safe for parents to drop their kids off at school, whether or not they're documented. So but those are two examples, but there are several others. Folks in Carolyn's writing, she talks about more inclusive curricula. But, but here's a, a statistic I want to share. And this is why, you know, local involvement is so uh, important. Carolyn writes, even with the level of power and influence the school boards hold, most school boards across the country don't reflect the students they serve. The demographic mismatch has been proven to negatively impact black and brown students. A 2018 survey by the National School Boards Association found that roughly 78% of school board members in the United States are white, 10% are black, 3% are Latinx, 1% are Native American, and less than 1% are Asian American or Pacific Islanders. So wait a minute. No one can deny, especially in the public school system, really de, de facto segregation. And yet 78% of the people on school board look nothing like the majority of the students mm -hmm. of color in these schools. That's got to be a wake-up call. Absolutely. And you also can't underestimate the power of the incumbents. There could be a lot of people of color who decide next year they want to run for school board. But in order for that to happen, you know, a lot have to be willing to run. And also several of the white school board members have to be willing to step down because once you're an incumbent, a lot of people don't like change. Yeah. So that's something that makes things difficult. And it's been proven that even having one Latinx school board member can dramatically increase funding in predominantly Latinx school districts. So it makes a difference. It's been proven to make a difference. So the problem is just diversifying those boards. Carolyn, I get a phone call from someone every day. I want to run for Senate. I'm like, uh, no, slow down. Uh, <laughs> that's way up there. Why don't you start at a level like this and, and get something going? Because it is as needed, as needed um, as, as, you know, the trappings of national office. It is needed at the local level. So this is great. Uh, folks, check that out at prisonreports.org as well. What's, what piece are you working on now? What's the next piece you're working on? 
Right now, I am working on part three of the series that we were talking about, about the harassment um, of uh, marginalized journalists and women. Uh, the next piece in the series, which will be the final piece, focuses on the harassment of student journalists specifically uh, and how they're not properly being trained to deal with the harassment that they're inevitably going to receive when they're in, uh, in during their undergrad or during grad school. And I, I am speaking to some students who have been harassed by sources already or just receiving really negative comments just on their articles and how they weren't taught to deal with this. Journalists aren't really prepared to know how to respond when they're out in the field and someone confronts them over something they're writing about or just the fact that there's this anti-media movement that has been going on the last few years and people see reporters as the enemy, regardless of whether or not they're students and just starting out and trying to do some interviews for a class assignment. Yeah, yeah. Wonder who started people thinking that reporters and journalists are the enemy. I wonder who did that, by the way, uh, <laughs> more and more. But look, great, great work, folks. We invite you to check out prisonreports.org, Carolyn's work and the work of so many others here. They're doing an outstanding job. And as I said, I want to talk to prison more often, so you all be here for Carolyn and others in prison. Carolyn, thank you for joining us, okay? Yeah, anytime. Thank you for having me. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.